come to this happy place, welcome. Welcome to the Magic Behind the Ears podcast with your host, owner of Bean Parkology, Jerry Cornell, and co-host, author of Discovering the Magic Kingdom, Joshua Schaefer. Welcome everyone to the Magic Behind the Ears podcast. I am your host, Jerry Cornell. And I am Joshua Schaefer, co-host. Well, Joshua, today we have a very special guest. A few months ago, I did a podcast with Krista Joy from Living the Dream Podcast, and we were privileged enough to interview Mark Walsh. So without further ado, I'd like to present a collaboration between the Magic Behind the Ears podcast and Living the Dream podcast. Here is the episode with Pixar director, animator, Mark Walsh. With 18 years at Pixar, our guest today is the writer, director of Partysaurus Rex and animation lead on Academy Award winners Finding Nemo and Ratatouille. He's also an experienced commercial director, has contributed to The Incredibles, Monsters, Inc., or Toy Story 2, Toy Story 3, A Bug's Life, Up, Presto, and The Good Dinosaur. So much great stuff to talk about today. Thank you so much, Mark Walsh, for being our guest on Living the Dream podcast. Hey, thanks. It's good to be here. How you doing, Mark? This is going to be exciting. I'm really looking forward to this. Thanks, guys. I am looking to. I'm looking forward to it too, Jerry. Thank you. So, Mark, as a child, did you yes. doodle? Did you do drawings, little sketches, little doodling, little any kind of sketching? That's a good question. I did do a little doodling, but I was one of these guys that was drawn to animation not because I wanted to draw so much, but because I wanted to act. Like I, I forced myself to learn to draw so that I could be an animator, as as opposed to the other way around. Right. Uh, so, like a lot of my friends, they were amazing draftsmen. Uh, they could draw anything, and they're like, "Oh, if I could only find a job where I got paid to draw, that'd be great." I wish I was one of those people. Right. Uh, I, I I taught myself to draw so that I could be an animator, and basically because you know, like many of us, you know, I have we watch a movie, and we're like, "Oh, wouldn't that be so great?" And as a kid, I would you know play around watching Star Wars and sure. play Luke Skywalker, or even we had such weird videotapes back in the 80s you know we had i think star wars the black stallion and singing in the rain and so i go out i was gonna be gene kelly or i was gonna be you know lou skywalker and, right uh and i loved doing that but as soon as i got in front of people i got nervous so nervous i was shaky and i thought i wonder if there's a way to be in movies where you don't have to be on screen and that led me to special effects which also led me to you know jim henson and the muppets and then finally when i saw um, beating the beast in theaters i was hooked i thought that's way more powerful than anything you can be an actor through your drawings so I taught myself to draw, and that's how it was. So not so much doodling, but more play acting. Wow, that's interesting. I, I think nobody yeah. really grows up drawing and sketching with the idea and intent to grow up to be an animator or some kind. I think they just I, – I just wanted to draw a house that looked like a house. And, you know, right. and, and it, it never did. That's interesting. Well, we used to have this great show on TV called The, the Draw Man, and he would come on at 3 o'clock. You know, before the internet and, you know, uh, shows that you could download whenever you wanted, you know, it was the draw man is on, it's Wednesday, it's three o'clock. And so time to pull up the piano stool with the drawing tablet. My mom would sit down and I would learn to draw a house and learn to draw this and that and uh, you know, how to draw birds and, and 
things in perspective and stuff. And I love that. I, that's so neat that when older people that are accomplished go back and they do that, they kind of give back. Right. Mr. Rogers was the same way, kind of encouraging people to use their imaginations and giving them, you know, kind of intellectual tools on how to do that. Yeah, we need more. You know, of that. We need more. We really do shows. all over the place. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was very blessed not to get off your topic, but uh, you know, I remember being in high school, having seen Beauty and the Beast, being really interested in how to how to how to make my way in it. And uh, I went to a video event for my girlfriend at the time. Uh, she had made a video in high school, and it got won an award. And at this event, Frank and Ollie were there, Frank Thomas and Ollie Johnston. Wow. And I recognized them from the book, from Illusion of Life. And I went up and asked those guys what they thought I should do. And I'll be darned if they didn't spend like an hour and a half talking to me. And, you know, I was, they, these guys were masters of their craft. They were in their 70s, and they took the time to talk to some you know, 16-year-old nobody. And they didn't have to do that. You know, that's what I mean. It's like the draw man. It's like, who would think that that would be valuable for anybody for that show? But if not for those people and taking the time to be generous. Uh, yeah, something like that. Like me, yeah. There's, there's yeah, no way you could walk away from that and not feel inspired somehow. Oh, not just by the work but by the, and the advice but by the people. Like, I want right. to be in an industry where people are like that, mm-hmm. you know, where, yeah. they, where they care. So tell us about the process. You, how do you go from drawing to care- a career in animation? How does that happen? That's a very good question. Well, everybody's story is a little bit different. I told my parents what I wanted to do, and I was armed with my Illusion of Life book, plus the notes from Frank and Ollie, and I convinced my parents that this was going to be a viable thing. <laughs> and, uh, That's my mom was from an artistic family, and, uh, um, and my dad was too, as well, musicians both, and so they kind of got it, and I was really blessed that they were very supportive. It's really meaningful when your parents actually take an interest and, and take it seriously. They said, all right, well, if you're serious, then you should get an internship, and they drove me around to every studio in Los Angeles on a rainy day in my dad's Volkswagen. He drove me to every studio, kicked me out of the car, and I had to go up to the front desk and say, hi, my name is Mark Walsh, and I would like to be an intern at your studio. Can you tell me what school I have to go to and how I would apply and if you have any availability this summer? That was my three things. And I basically went in and made a fool of myself at so many places, but every one of them said you should go to CalArts because right. that was the time. And, um, and so I learned, went to CalArts. I found out what I had to do. I started taking the life drawing classes there, uh, a very generous man there uh, named Larry. I can't remember Larry's last name. Not Larry Cutler. I can't remember. No, no. I can't remember Larry's last name. But because of Larry encouraging me to go downstairs and, and kind of sit in on their life drawing classes, I started learning how to life draw. And because of other generous students kind of helping me out, you know, looking at my work, giving me feedback, within a few months of like drawing every day, I was I put together a portfolio and I applied to Cal Arts and I got in. So it wasn't easy. I mean, I definitely, I don't know if I've ever worked so hard to learn a craft so fast in my life. And definitely I didn't learn the craft. I mean, I was kind of, I was up on wobbly legs. But I think the school knew me at that point and they, they saw how fast I was able to kind of take it out and then they figured, well, if he's working this hard now, let's give him a chance. So uh, I went to Cal Arts, and I always struggled with the drawing. That was always the hard part. I was really passionate about the performance and showing the character thinking and getting entertainment out of that. Uh, but I was not, I mean, it was just a struggle. So uh, when... By my third year, I think, or second, third year, when Toy Story came out and John Lasseter came to Pixar with Pete Docter and Andrew Stanton and Joe Rampton, they talked about animating in the computer. I was definitely not a computer guy either. Right. I'm still not. But uh, I thought, well, you mean I don't have to draw anymore? I can put my performances through the puppet of this digital puppet instead of current or instead of this drawing. I can, it's the same thing I've always wanted to do, but with a different technique. And I didn't have to, you know, at the time in the 90s, to be an animator at Disney, 
you know, you justifiably had to go start in the cleanup department and learn how to draw well and so do solid drawing and then graduate to being what they called a rough in-betweener where you did the rough drawings that went in between the key poses. And then, then and only then, if you were good enough, you know, t nine, ten years later, you might become an animator. Mm -hmm. uh, but I was worried about that because I knew I was going to be judged on my drawing ability all through those eight, ten years, even if I got in. And that wasn't my strong suit. It was the acting. And so uh, I chose to try this Pixar thing instead. And the rest is history. Wow. And you've done a lot of impressive stuff. I mean, a lot. So much so that I, we can't even go through it in one show. Well, what, what was it like working at Pixar? I mean, you worked with Pixar on, on several films. What was that like? That was wonderful. I mean, when I started at Pixar in 1997, it was basically a, it had the feeling of a startup. I think there were about 250 people there at the time. Uh, and everybody's photo was up on the wall. When you walked in, they had a pin board with everybody's photo. So you knew these, this, the, the wall of people were the people that were making the movies. And they had just made Toy Story. They were working on A Bug's Life. And there was this uh, tremendous feeling of innovation and excitement. And everybody was helping each other because nobody knew what they were, they were doing in a way in animation. Everybody was figuring out how to use the software, you know, coming up with ideas on how to make a new kind of software that would make it easier, different techniques. And so there was a real feeling of... Um, the kind of excitement that I would hear Frank and Ollie talk about was at the Hyperion Studio at Disney. Pixar was in a warehouse in Point Richmond, you know, before their glorious, really beautiful campus now in Emeryville. And it was, I think since Pixar has left, it's now like the site of an FBI or CIA morgue where like body parts go to get analyzed. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> where we once brought life, now they analyze, you know, fingers that are floating in the water. I don't know what happens in there now. <laughs> but at wow. the time, it was just, it was kind of a crazy place. And nobody knew if, you know, this Bugs Life movie would do well. You know, I kind of had to count my, my blessings and figure, like, well, I hope this works because these people are great. And this, this feeling of innovation here is really fun. And I, I don't want to have to, like, go back to Los Angeles and try to find a job at, at Disney or, or somewhere else like that. I really hope that this Pixar thing works out. And sure enough, every film, you know, we would put our hearts and souls into it and people would respond. And the more, kind of back to that whole Frank and Ollie story in the beginning, I feel it's like the more truthful the movies were, the more uh, honest the, and sincere like the work was, meaning like everybody really wanted it to do well. The movie was about something generally that was real and people could identify with, whether it's Finding Nemo or The Incredibles. They're all like, you know, true life adult stories with the adults kind of dressed in fish costumes or something else, but you can take the fish out of it and still have it be a, a story that people can relate to. Right, And because of the sincerity and everything, people would respond to it, which is a real great justification of that business model. And uh, at some point I realized, boy, this is, they're never going to go out of business. Right. So, <laughs> so I started saying, asking, you know, hey, do you think we could try this kind of thing? Do you think we could try this kind of thing? And, and was a part of helping an amazing team, you know, reinvent the software or try different kinds of things there. And that was really gratifying because you felt like you were building a medium as well as making movies. And, yeah, you were making history at the same time. Part of the team that was, yeah, I mean, really intensely smart people on the on the technical side there. And the exposure to that is also really exciting. I mean, where do you get to go where you wait in lunch in, in, in line for lunch next to the guy who invented cloth simulation, you know, and be able to ask him about some idea and he's, he'll put on his glasses and, you know, he'll nerd out on something I can't even possibly get my head around. That sounds interesting. Maybe we could use that for such and such. And before you know it, we've invented something. It's that collaboration of, of art meeting science and technology. Really fun. Sounds like a great atmosphere, great place it to was, be. Yeah, it great is. Great time. So can you tell us about your work with Luxo Animatronics, too? That's an odd question. Wow, nobody <laughs> asked me. 
Yeah. So um, before I started working at Pixar, a little secret is that I did a I did a summer auditioning to be an animatronics animator at WDI. I was really into that because again, that's another way of putting on a a suit and hiding from the audience. And I thought, right. what an incredible magic trick that is to make people believe that that's really a, a person. Really, always fascinated by Disneyland and that kind of thing. So I did some tests there, and uh, I chose Pixar over WDI because uh, it seemed like you know, there was more room to grow there at the time. But I was always interested in animatronics. I still am. And when word came down that they were working on a, an all-electric Luxo animatronic figure for Disney World, I, I lost my mind. I really, really wanted to work on it. And it's the, I don't know what the first of it were, but uh, I don't think it's still running. But I think it went in the Pixar Play Place. You guys might know better than I. But uh, it was a large scale, like five foot tall, uh, Luxo Jr. And uh, it was all electric so that you could animate it in the computer and then plug that, plug the computer into the animatronic and have it directly mimic what you animated, which is now what we're seeing in, you know, like the, the beautiful animation in the Frozen ride. All that stuff is animated by, you know, feature film animators at Disney and then plugged into a, a robot and it plays back. So you're getting exactly what the animators who worked on the feature films would do, which is wow. amazing. So it, that was a really, really fun experience. I've seen yeah, a video we, clip of it and it's, it's amazing. I mean, it's just well, crazy amazing. The problem with uh, with that and with all animatronics that everybody has, myself included, we all want to like, I want to make an animatronic that you know is thirty feet tall and it's a Velociraptor and it's going to jump off this building onto this other one. Like we always forget that, you know, in animation nothing is re nothing really has weight. You know, it's a caricature, but when you're dealing with when you're dealing with a physical object, it, just the physics, you, you need a muscle that is you know so large in order to move you know your body if it's that big. You know what I mean? Right. Like, uh, I notice that the heavier that I get, <laughs> like, I, I need more muscle, you know? And so it's harder to stop things and it's harder to move them. Right. And so the thing about Luxo uh, from the beautiful short that John Lasseter created is that, you know, Luxo Jr. is a little kid and he moves with so much energy. Right. And, and spunk. And to do that, you would need gigantic motors to move something quickly, you know? And when you're doing something like Elsa from Frozen, I would imagine that they've got you know, large electric motors inside that body to be able to run all that. But on Luxo, there's not a lot of place to hide anything, right. right? There's no place to hide a large motor. So we had to use smaller motors. And because of that, Luxo couldn't move very quickly, you know. And, and for that, I feel like we, we, we learned a valuable lesson that's paying forward into the stuff that's, that's being done now. And that's, know, that's part of the learning process and, and perfecting something like that. Technology that's is, is making all errors about. like yeah. that. Walt, you know, was all about you know, these experiments to try to push things forward. And if it didn't work, that was okay. We'll try it another way. I mean, talking with Bob Gurr about building on the other end of the spectrum, you know, about building Lincoln and how that, you know, they had similar problems with Lincoln. Like right. uh, it's sometimes you got to put it together and try it. Yeah. There's no other way. You got to try it. Yeah. Well, for those of us who don't know, can you tell us about Gary the Gull? Oh yeah. So that's another thing for me. I, I, I helped out a little bit with the interactive stuff that Pixar's done for the parks, like with the Mr. Potato Head that was at, at the Toy Story ride, and with I um, love that. Yeah, yeah it was really it. fun. Don Rickles is a gem, and 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 working with, you know, the the Crush Turtle Talk with Crush people, who are also just so immensely talented. That I just found, you know, going to Disneyland, I love meeting the characters. It's an amazing looking world, right? And I want to meet one of the characters in the world, right? And the right. last thing I would want is to go up to Mickey Mouse and wave to him and have him ignore me. And so, but that's what happens in this new. I don't know if you guys have have experienced virtual reality as a medium yet that you put on these glasses and it can take you anywhere. It's amazing. And you can be 
at your equivalent of Disneyland, uh, or you could be, you know, in the Star Wars cantina, and Han Solo could walk by, you could say, hey, Han, and he'll walk right through you because he doesn't know you're there. And so what Gary the Goal was, was, it, was an experiment on, on my part. I created this company called Motional to see if we could make it so that when you're in an interesting world, could you meet an interesting character as well and have them respond to you? Because I feel like when you go to a neat place, meeting new people is one of the most exciting parts about it. Right, right. So in Gary the Gull, you go to a beach, it's a beautiful beach, and you're looking out over the ocean, and you've got your cooler there, and the relaxing ukulele music is playing, and then a seagull lands, and it seems like a realistic seagull, and it's kind of poking around, and then it sort of starts poking at your cooler, and then it looks at you and says, hi, are you going to eat that? And he, he knows if you've responded or not, he knows if you look away, hey, my head's over here, you gotta, I'm asking you a question. Like, he really wants to know, and of course, he's... Being a seagull, he's a shyster. He's really just trying to steal your lunch. So there's a bit of a game of him trying to con you to get that lunch out of you. And it creates entertainment that is narrative, like a story, but it's interactive so that you have moments of interaction in the That's story. Fantastic. It's just something totally new. And it's very interesting because right now virtual reality is such a young medium. Mm-hmm. A lot of the people are game people, and they're used to a different kind of thing with games. And so some people are trying narrative stuff like a movie, uh, which is beautiful, and some people are doing game stuff that has interaction with it, and that's neat too, but I'm all, after, I'm all about the hybrid of those things. I love that. I, I was really lucky. I, um, I was invited by Ocean Spray. We do a, I live in Orlando. We have the Epcot Food and Wine Festival. And, um, yeah, so Ocean Spray sponsors it, and they invited me to their media event, and they actually had a virtual reality machine there, so, mm-hmm. like, I got on there and put those big goggles on, and you look around, and they're making cranberries. It would, it would have been really <laughs> cool if, like, you could have talked to the farmer and been like, hey, what's up, Fred? You know, here I am. So, they should have talked to Mark before they installed this thing. Well, but maybe. Yes, from you. what I read, it costs, like, millions of dollars to just to just have one of those, you know. So, I feel very That's fortunate. That's the problem. Know. Yeah. It's, like, it's eventually, it's kind of like home home theater you know, mm-hmm. if you wanted to have surround sound in your house, it used to cost you like $7,000 to right. do it. And now you can go to Best Buy and get one for a couple hundred bucks. It may not be as spectacular as your, you know, your local AMC, but it's pretty cool. And, and I think that's the same thing here where, you know, eventually it's just going to be able to be on everybody's phone. It's the wave of the future. It really is. Yeah. hearing about it. It's and I'm excited. It's, it's the way to be able to capture events in your personal life and still be there as well. So if your kid's birthday, your grandkid's birthday... You know, Jerry, and you want to you know be able to go back to that event. You could set up a special camera, and it would capture you know all angles of the you know 360, so you could years from now go back and put on the glasses and be at that birthday party. That would be awesome. That way, I could see who bought me what, (laughs) (laughs) and and that will determine whether they get a good gift for me this year or not. Yeah, that would be awesome. That that is, I think you might have just come up with the use for a great use for the virtual reality. Really really good. Yeah, what did Krista get me? All right, send her a card. Yeah, she gets a towel. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, my goodness. Well, you have such a gift for this, Mark. Can you tell me kind of what goes into to like creating a great story with memorable characters? Because, I mean, you obviously have a knack for that. Did you come up with the seagull idea for the virtual yeah, reality? I did, Amazing. and I worked closely with the voice artist, Maddie Taylor. who She's a fantastic voice artist. She does a lot of stuff in Hollywood. Um We've been friends since CalArts, and uh, so it's good to, I mean, you realize at some point, and, and, you know, I hit 40 this year, and I'm like, wow, you know, if you think about it, 
we know at this point we've done a lot of things and we've met a lot of people. I realized, like, I think I already know everybody that I need to know to be able to do something like this, and which is a real gift as well. I'd be able to call up somebody like Maddie and be like, hey, do you want to, I need a voice actor. Can you do this? And I would say, you know, I would say, yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it's, it's, a real, it's a real blessing. But for me, the characters and stories are all about what is identifiable. You know, Krista, we could come up with a story about, you know, it'd be crazy if we were in outer space and these aliens attacked and we landed on a planet that was all made out of ice cream and we were sinking in the ice cream. What are we going to do? I know we could come up with something really, you know, um, uh, amazing. And you talk to anybody, everybody's got ideas. I think right. what, what makes those ideas successful in that, not monetarily, although that helps, but the, an audience really liking and caring about your characters in your movie is having it be identifiable. Meaning, we all go through similar types of problems no matter what age you are. So oh, a little kid goes true. to kindergarten. Yeah, your grandkid goes to kindergarten and they're worried about, I hope everybody likes me in this new social scene. You know, I, I want to be friends with the right people so that I'm accepted, da-da-da. You are 40 years old and you go into a new job and it's exactly the same thing. That's true. So if you make a story about wanting to be accepted or lying to be accepted because you're so afraid that people won't like you, uh, that's party source Rex. So you see what I mean? Like if you, if you tell a story that is about something real, you can, you can layer on as much fantasy as you want on top of it. You know, Luke Skywalker is very similar to Harry Potter in that he has a feeling, I feel like I'm not doing enough with my life. I feel like I'm meant for something more. There's more to me than what people see. Everybody has that feeling, right? That's, That's a true. universal thing. And so you can, you can create a character like that in a story where they're proving that to themselves and proving that to the world, whether it's with the Force or whether it's with wizarding or whether we can come up with 10 more things today. But what's valuable about that, why people love it, is that they really are able to attach with that character as if they were themselves, say, I know how you feel. I want a resolution to this feeling. And a really good movie can provide that. And can I just say, in researching you today, today was the first time I ever saw Party Source, Rex, Mark, and... Mm -hmm. I put on Facebook, I think it changed my life. It was the, the <laughs> coolest thing. It was so cool. It is hilarious. I messaged Jerry. I was like, oh my gosh, have you seen this? So for our listeners, I want you guys to go to Vimeo right now and look up Party Soros Rex if you haven't seen it. It is hysterical. And the detailing, every everything from the little bubbles and the bubble bath. and Right. Oh my goodness! So and the way creative. the whale talks with kind of a lisp because you know he's part of the f the fixture on the faucet. Yeah. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Phenomenal! Yeah, that's what I, <laughs> I like. Is I, I've always wanted to overflood the the bathtub. I've always wanted to, you know, not to get my mom mad, but just to just to do it, just to make a a waterfall. But in the wreck story, he actually got to do it. That's that was so cool. Oh, thank you, guys. I mean, for me, when I, when I watched it, it's like a yearbook. I had a really great experience making that because of the collaboration. Like, I had the idea about it being about me and trying to be less nerdy than I am and trying to, you know, convince people that I was somehow cool, which is never, ever going to happen, ever, <laughs> for me. <laughs> because eventually they figure it out. I'm like, he's nice, but I don't know how cool. I don't know if cool is the word I would use for Mark Walsh. But uh, when you involve other people, they have their own perspective and they also have their own talents, right? And that's what's really beautiful about making a movie in general, but especially at Pixar's. They have so many talented people, so right. I can say I need it to be in the bath, but then, you know, we get Darwin Peachy, who was um, one of the technical greats at Pixar, and he comes up with a way to, you know, do these bubbles, which looks so much more amazing than I ever thought it would look, you know, when somebody else figures out how to do, like, the fog and the lights, and somebody will add, you know, little 
personality things to the characters that I would not have thought of. And so for me, I, I, I learned that directing a movie is kind of like an upside-down triangle where the director kind of can have the idea, but you're also piling on other people's talents, which are greater than yours. You're partying and piling on the, the writer and the director of photography and the animators and, and the sound designers. And everybody, when everybody works at their A-game, the thing starts turning into something that you never expected. And I certainly never expected that Partysaurus would turn out as completely crazy and beautiful as it looks. Oh, it's just fantastic. It's, it's perfect. I love it. I beautiful just, is a great word. Oh, my gosh. The lights go out and then the toys glow in the dark. And, I mean, I don't mean to be ridiculous, but I... I love that, and everybody needs I to did. see it. Okay. No, thank you. That means a lot yeah, because I, more, I hope that more. the people who worked on it will hear that because I'm very proud of them. I felt the same way. Now I'm not trying to aggrandize myself. I mean, to aggrandize them. Like the what they were able to achieve on that was about, consistently every day. I went to work and I got my socks blown off. It's really fun to work with people who are just the best at what they do. Did you hear what he said earlier, Krista? A planet full of ice cream. Hmm. That would be awesome. Yes. That would be good. We didn't ever figure that out. Yeah, what is what is that going to be about? We have to find something about Well, you know. it's simple. We we all we, we we're on a planet of ice cream. We all have spoons. What to do? We have <laughs> spoons. I, what are we gonna do with these spoons? You if know, we eat all the ice cream, there's no planet and, left and in the side. Then an idea it. strikes us as one of our stomachs starts growling, we're getting hungry, spoon, mm. planet of ice cream, it all just comes together. You know, maybe have the people on the planet that are made out of whipped cream and then a cherry maybe and some almonds, and, yes. you know, yes. some, a, a tree made out of like black fudge or something. Oh, that's else craving that's ice cream? That's good, Jerry. You're in the wrong, you're in the wrong business, I think. <laughs> that's so, so, somebody asked, like, have we ever thought about if we eat all the ice cream, what will happen to us? Aren't we killing ourselves? Yeah. And then Krista will like, be like, who cares? Let's eat. I'll die happy. Yeah. I'm happy. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's so funny. So one of the things I have to ask you, I was yeah. going through your bio. One thing that really stood out and really, really impressed me were your hobbies. You have a lot Ooh. of unusual hobbies, tiki's, autotopias, ragtime piano. But one that really stuck out was Journey Hits played by ukulele. you got to tell us about that. Oh, well, who doesn't love Don't Stop Believing? Yeah, uh, uh, Journey has gone from a guilty pleasure to a no-shame pleasure. Wow. I love Journey. Uh, do you guys not like Am I oh, the only I do. one? Absolutely love. Him. I even like the new guy. I mean, I think he's fantastic. He's a great. He's guy. amazing, right? I think you know. Uh, totally. Yeah, amazing. It just it, it takes me back to my childhood in the roller skating rink. Oh yes. Know? I should, I should invent. I should just overlay the sound of like <laughs> of the skates on the roller skating <laughs> rink, so that it takes me <laughs> right back. Uh, and just play that in the Does hallway, it... so everybody always thinks, "Look out!" <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not old. We turned the same age this year, Mark. You're not old. We're the same age. Oh, come on. <laughs> I'm not even going to say anything because I'm old. Whatever. I'm just going to keep quiet. Okay, well, uh, uh, so. I, I, you know, ukulele is something that I always played when I was a kid because it was a tiny, uh, tiny guitar, easy to play on your little fingers, you know. And right, um, right. one thing that I wanted to do when I got older, of course, if you're going to play music, you play music too. In high school, you know, you want to play music to get the girl that you like or the guy that you like to, right. to express. And, and so, there's nothing cooler than I, a ukulele. Well, I learned that the hard way, Jerry. Uh, <laughs> in the 80s and 90s, there's nothing uncooler than a ukulele. Uh, that was probably a bad tactic on my part. But now it's, it's kind of come around. And so I, I like to play uh, 80s hits on the ukulele. I think there's a charm to that. Right. I, I should start a band called Ukulele 80s that Ooh, just plays. Oh, that's brilliant. I love it. Yeah, let's take yeah. let's take the band on tour with that. I like that. 
Yeah, we could. Yeah, I think it'd be pretty. There's really only the same like four chords for every '80s song anyway. Fine. So, right. any, any of you people out there love the '80s and you love the ukulele, you've tried out. It's uh, it's fun, and it always brings a smile. Is there video? Are there YouTube videos of Mark Walsh playing ukulele? Not Mark, yet. you're missing your calling. <laughs> because if not, we need to start now. that. You, you want a Harley with the ukulele? Really? I love it. Uh, okay. All right. Well, we got to figure that out. Maybe, uh, Krista, do you want to join me on that? Do you want to you sing some true, true colors? Or, Krista uh, there with a mm-hmm. tattoo that says, I heart pianos. Mm-hmm. Born to ride. Mm-hmm. Born to ride. Born to play. Oh, I like, I like mm-hmm. that. I like mm-hmm. that. We could do a little, yeah, a little Bruce yeah. Springsteen together. That would be there fun. What will I do? Yeah. Uh, well, hey, if you, you do you play tambourine. You're eating the ice cream. <laughs> uh, I'm the guy that just scoops up ice cream for you guys. <laughs> you could be the interpretive dancer, Jerry. There you go. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think anybody wants to see that. Oh, yeah, that might put your band out of business. Everybody wants to see that. (laughs) (laughs) No, I love music. Uh, You know, you guys remember Rod Miller from Disneyland? Did you ever go see him play on Main Street? Do you play all the Journey songs on the ukulele? I mean, you play them all? Do you play? uh, Well, I'm. I if you can hum it, I can play it. I'm one of those people that doesn't read, but I play by ear. So, like anyone want it? Can you play that? Uh, that might be a separate podcast, but yes, that's, that's such a good one. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, we definitely got to book this guy for my next party. I think that's only the same. It's the same four chords as like all of the other journey songs. So yeah. Book them now while we can afford them. Right, Krista? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. He's going FBI. places. Yeah. That is so cool. I love it. My son, is, my son's 22. He picked up the ukulele about five years ago and, he yeah. loves it, and you're right. It's totally cool now. You know, yeah, he picks it, up girls and you, stuff. You, you would be a big hit in Hawaii. Yeah, I, would. I don't know. I don't know. There's a lot of real ukulele. The thing that's great about it's popularity now is that you know people yeah. have picked it up into like a real fine musicianship degree. Like there's um there's a guy named Jake Shimabakuro. Spell say that three times fast. Uh, wow. Uh, oh but God. he is um he's a virtuoso. He can play this thing like it's uh. I don't know. It makes it sound like an orchestra, and it's just a little tiny ukulele. Wow! Yeah, so I would be intimidated to do it I think, for real. I think you need to come up with like the electric ukulele. Ooh! Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> what I'm saying here. It's like we could play "Electric Youth" by who was that? Like Tiffany. <laughs> Debbie, Gibson. Debbie, Debbie Gibson. Debbie Electric Youth. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hit those high strings. Yeah, I love nice. it. Oh my goodness! You guys are killing me. Oh, me too. We need, so, let's meet okay. up this week. We're, we're supposed we're to be doing a show, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. We'll get together yeah. later. We'll have bad practice later. I, I'm looking at it right across from me in the apartment. I'm so tempted to to grab that ukulele right now, but I don't want to. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, for your listening pleasure. Marky Walshy on u- ukulele. <laughs> um, <laughs> Anywhere you want it, that's the way you need it. Yeah, there you no. go. <laughs> Let's get this guy's CD. I'm, that's what I'm thinking. I'm saying let's just get a CD, blast it in our cars, mm-hmm. and uh, I'll go out for ice cream. Okay, perfect. Sounds, ice cream I might like be it. the perfect equipment for that. Yeah. You have an ice All right. cream tune? You have an ice cream tune you can play on the ukulele? Uh, what's you know what? I don't know. It's a good. What's uh, good ice cream tune? Well, well, uh, I don't know. Get, that's for another podcast. Ripping, we'll go back. Ripping down that. your arm, maybe, or melt away with me. Uh, <laughs> I melt with you. Yes, I'll stop, stop the world you. and melt with you. Yeah, maybe maybe at the end of the at melt the end of the podcast, if I might I do like that one. Well, I'm sure, Mark, you get asked this all the time. So, um, what kind of advice do you give when you talk to people who want to pursue a career in animation? 
Ooh. Well, there's so many different things to do in animation. That's what's really beautiful about it. Like, I chose the acting part of it, but as, as you've heard, there's so many people on the technical end, on the graphics end, graphic design, uh, modeling, texturing. Somebody's got to decide how many hairs are on my head or not on my head, which for me would be a short meeting. But there, you know, there's people that have dedicated their entire you know, careers to being the best at these things. So that's, you can almost be interested in anything and still find... Uh, you know, with enough dedication, you can find a play to do it, you know, in animation, I think. And that's exciting. So for me, I think just get on the internet because the hardest thing is all is understanding what, what is the end point. You know, in the 80s, I had to go, my dad had to drive me around in the Volkswagen. I had to go door to door, you know, or you would hope that you would be lucky enough to meet somebody that would be able to guide you. Now, you know, gee whiz, you don't even have to be uh, at home on a desktop, on your phone, use your thumbs. You know, how to be an animator. Like, what, what does animation take? I mean, we've got Pixar books. We've got Pixar, you know, documentaries. Disney has got, you know, tremendous amount of information out there now. I think it's the, you know, finding how, what's available, deciding what you're passionate about, you know, because you can work, you can work at your dream being part of making these movies. Um, and you don't have to do something that you don't really like. Like I said, if you, if you know what you like to do and you're good at it, you can follow that passion and still contribute as long as it's the right thing. I don't right thing for you. So the right, right. thing for me was acting. But and as an animator, you know, you follow uh, or take an acting class, take some drawing classes because ultimately it's still a flat graphic design, even though it's three D when you when you pose it. It's two D when you look at it on a screen. And so uh, animator Milt Call used to talk about you know the importance of graphic design in your pose and clarity on screen so that you can understand what the character is doing. And there are animation courses online now, animationmentor.com, the Animation Collaborative. You can go to a number of schools aside from CalArts. There's, you know, the Academy of Art in San Francisco. There's Ringling in Florida. Vancouver's got a school. There's so many different places you can go. My only big piece of advice is to cultivate your eye, meaning, um, you know, really, if you like an animated film, like, take frame through it and notice what you like about it. Uh, draw from it. Start noticing the way that people, different people move. Because we're in the business of creating personalities, not motion. Right? So when Captain Jack Sparrow is invented, Johnny Jepp doesn't say, well, I'm going to walk on screen. He thinks about, who is this guy? How would he walk? And that's what they pay Johnny Depp for, is to come up with a really interesting take on how that guy would move and walk. Right. And as an animator, that's, that's what you're doing as well, whether you're animating Thumper or you're animating Woody or Dory or any of these, or, or Baymax or any of these characters. What is interesting to all of us as an audience is who the person is, not just that they're moving. Because the most boring speaker in the world is still animated well. The worst actor is still animated well. They're not moving like a robot, and their voice is synchronized. So technically, it's good animation. But what makes it really sing, and what Disney has always been good at, um, and what inspired us at Pixar, is thinking about what makes an interesting personality and how that personality moves. So if you watch Back to the Future, Biff... Uh, is the bad guy in Back to the Future moves incredibly differently from George McFly, who was a very kind of shy, nerdy, insecure personality. And his body language is very hesitant and very apologetic and very kind of kowtowing, whereas Biff's body language is very dominating. And you will laugh at George McFly because there's entertainment value in the way he moves. And that all comes out of that actor or that animator, you know, noticing people, being in the supermarket and being like, oh, isn't that interesting the way that person moves? And putting that in your like little virtual file cabinet, uh, you know, all of that makes that kind of noticing of, of each other not in a not in a demeaning way or a judgmental way, but in an appreciative way, 
because you're never going to learn anything by being judgmental. But if you can appreciate, like, oh, isn't that interesting how that person does that? I wonder why. Or uh, I might use that someday. Um, makes the world really entertaining. It makes it really, really beautiful, and you, you understand kind of the beauty of the differences in all of us and how, and maybe some empathy as to why people are the way they are, why they, why they move differently. And outside of making the world really interesting, it makes your animation a heck of a lot better. Because that's what people want when they sit in the theater. They want to go to an amazing place and empathize with an amazing person with an interesting story and a, and a real personality. So that's, that's really the craft that we're being given. It's hard enough to learn how to make things move right. There's the 12 principles, and the animation takes years to do well. But in general, if you want to be an animator, I would say start with appreciating, start with noticing. That's, that's really what makes people happy. I don't know about you, Krista, but that sounded like he's inviting me to be a male model animator. I could do that. You could do that. You want to... I am just swept away. I could listen to you talk all day. <laughs> I'm just like, right? I'm totally That's... swept away. But that leads me to another question. I We were there at the booth. I was there with Jeff Barnes, and I heard you mentioning to him about speaking engagements. I know you're available for speaking engagements, right? You've um, taught like a master class all over the world. Can you tell us a little more about that? Well, I love sharing everything we talked about because that's that goes right back to that night with Frank and Ollie. And, you know, I feel like I was so blessed that people took time out to give and to guide. And I could very easily be, you know, at a job that I'm not passionate about. It happens to a lot of us. And it's hard to get out of and it's scary to get out of. And I think I like teaching and I like, you know, encouraging young people and guiding people and kind of opening their minds to you know, if not a job in animation, then at least a different way of looking at things like an animator would. Uh, that brings me a lot of gratification. So, yeah, I, if you're interested in having me come and, and talk about the approach that I would use or um, the way that things are done or, or just collaboration in general or if you've got a project an, in animation that you need some help with, I love collaborating and I love teaching. So, Mark, you have worked uh, with a lot of famous actors for different roles in animation. Can you tell us what that's like or... If you have any funny stories, that would be great too. Um, hmm. Well, there's the, I got 18 years of stories. Be more specific. Is there a particular movie you're thinking of? Uh, say, let's say Toy Story or Bugs Life. Oh, Bugs Life. Bugs Life was the most fun for me because it was my first movie. Uh, everybody was a little crazy on that on that film. What's a good Bugs Life story? Okay, let's do it. Let's see. All right, Bugs Life. Um, well, in our animation department, one thing that became really kind of famous was the. Uh, was the conga line. Uh, an EPK crew came in. EPK stands for Electronic Press Kit. And what they're basically doing is they're filming behind-the-scenes footage to use when the movie comes out so they can say, right. oh, here's a behind-the-scenes how we made the movie. And we were all really hard at work uh, in the throes of, of making A Bug's Life. They said, you know, hey, guys, can you act lively for the cameras? And everybody was like, what do you mean? I'm, I'm busy. I'm trying to do this scene, a flick or a hopper or whatever. And uh, so we need everybody to take a break and look like they're, they're being creative. <laughs> we were all being creative. <laughs> And so it was somebody's idea. I think somebody was the director from the EPK. That place. Said, Can't you guys do like a conga line? Because there is a point in the movie where there's a conga line where they answer dancing. And uh, for some reason, we all ended up doing a conga line. And it became synonymous for years afterward with, you know, being creative. <laughs> in the animation department. But, hey, maybe we should do a conga line to get things going. It was a really wild time at Pixar. There was a bucket that would be out for beers every, um, beers and soft drinks every, you know, Friday you know, in the evening, there would be, you know, like a little a, a beer bash, they would call it. They would bring in pizzas and beer and sodas for everybody. And the bucket was just large enough to fit um, one animator that a good friend was named Tasha. would was just right to actually sit in that bucket. She was, uh, I don't know how tall Tasha is, 
really tremendous animator. She did the scene in, in Finding, Finding Nemo where Dory says, you know, hey, Mr. Grumpy Gilch. She's really, really great. And uh, But Tasha fit in the bucket. And so every once in a while, someone would yell out, Tasha in the bucket. And <laughs> Tasha would in the bucket and we'd carry her around. It was really, it was a wild, wild time. You know, everybody was under 30. So it was. Oh, oh that sounds like a lot of fun. Well, yeah, and I saw a picture of you with Tom Hanks, and it's so funny because you, you, you know, I wouldn't have thought that you would be right there with the voice actors and things like that, but you really are. You worked really closely with a lot of them, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, uh, making Party Source Rex and, and directing the Toy Story commercials for Toy Story Three, like the, uh, we got to work with all of those tremendous actors, and it is so amazing because you know we all draw those characters. We think we know what how Mr. Potato Head would say something, right? And if certainly, like I talk about collaboration, it takes so many people to do something. But there is something about getting in the room with the vocal performer who really owns that character because the buck stops with them, you know? And when you're in that room and they come to life, a lot of times they'll reinterpret a line, say it in a slightly different way than the way it was written, and nobody can argue that they've made it better and that it's more like the character, and it is magic, we are. I, I felt so blessed to be able to, you know, work with these actors while we still got them. I mean, it's amazing that you know uh, Don Rickles is still with us, and he's just as hilarious as ever. And, and right. uh, Stella Harris is still with us, and and you know we've lost Mr. Uh, we've lost um, Jim Varney, who played Slinky Dog, but the man who has taken over for Jim uh, was friends with Jim. So doing the voice, you know, for Slinky Dog is kind of an honoring thing for the actor, and he does it really, really well. And it's just every one of those actors knows uh, that character better than anybody and it is it's a real honor and it's exciting hey you guys write something and then tom hanks jumps around the room and says it for you that's kind of crazy oh my goodness <laughs> cannot was, imagine it was very surreal and he's the nicest person he's well, everything that they say is absolutely absolutely true just the kindest kindest man yeah oh my goodness well and they revealed a little bit i know here at walt disney world we're getting like a um a slinky coaster and, Ooh. you know, some stuff like that for our Pixar. Do you, do you have any thoughts or any input on that stuff? Or Well, I just love that, opinions? you know, I, I, really, I really am a big fan of John Lasseter. And his, what he really does well, I think, is create not only great characters and the empathetic stories that I was talking about, but he really knows how to build a, a world that you want to go back to. And to me, one of the beauty about having the Pixar stuff and the theme parks is that we can physically create those worlds to visit. I just think that's tremendous. You know, if you've been to Cars Land in uh, DCA, it is just astonishing <laughs> how, yes. how accurate it is to the film. And it is fun to see. It's fun to see the things live on outside of the film. In a lot of ways, you know, you look at you know, both Frank and Ollie are, are passed away now. I think just about everybody who worked on Snow White almost right. is, has passed away. Um, we still have a few people, but, you know, all their work is still alive. You go to that park and uh, to Disneyland and their drawing is on a T-shirt. You know, they're in the ride. You know, uh, the voices are still there. And it's, it's kind of, it's really magical to me that the films can live on in a way that's outside of the screen. So I'm really stoked about hearing, you know, if I, you know, when we work on something and, and it gets made into a, a tangible place, uh, I think that's really exciting. And it honors all the work that people put into it too. I agree. And you start to feel like, you know, I, I'm noticing now, like, uh, because the Toy Story stuff, the Pixar stuff now is becoming, you know, we've been through enough years now where it's becoming, starting to go into legacy. And, you know, I'm starting to see uh, drawings that my friends made on T-shirts and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, stuff that I did 13 years ago for finding, 
Nemo is like showing up again because of the new Dory movie, which is wonderful. And you realize like, wow, like we're getting to that point too, where someday we'll be dead in the ground and part of our creativity will live on as long as this lives on, which is really, to me, that's quite moving. I never, you never think about that when you're working on something, but it is, it is why I wanted to get into it and why a lot of us follow it. You know, it's, there's an immortality to what Walt did and what all those artists contributed to that I, I hope Pixar is you know, remembered in the same way, and I hope that my work will be remembered in the same way. It would be very exciting. I'm going to take your advice whenever my, my family around here is just being boring. I'm going to say, can you do something lively for me? Yeah, can you just you know, do something lively, do something out of the ordinary? Just it really does shake things up. I, I challenge you, Jerry, to do a conga line with your family and see how they react. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah, you know, I always make up characters around the house, and my kids love it. Like, like Mr. Wong, he could do no wrong. And my kids oh. love it. They eat it up. And my wife looks at me like, how old are you? Are you serious? You know, are you, are you kidding me? My kids love it. My kids love it. Yeah. That's the thing. Like, there's space for creativity everywhere, isn't there? I mean, I think, you know, yeah, I spent my time working on these movies with other people, but everybody's creative. Everybody in what they do. And there's, there's space for noticing that or having fun at home that livens up life. You know, we, we can't right. all be, you know, life can't all be math and, you know, numbers as much as we need it, as much right. as the world would crumble without it. We got to have space for fun, right? For music, for dancing, for silliness, right? Right. And then that's that's why my wife and I are a good team. She handles all the serious stuff, and I handle all the fun stuff. You know, <laughs> that's not to say she's not fun, but yeah, she's definitely more mature than I am. Is she? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. I find there's usually what I call a crazy, uh-huh. and then there's a stabilizer. This person who kind of stabilizes the crazy, like a Walt and a Roy, right? Uh-huh. Walt's the crazy. Roy's the stabilizer. Together, you get a good partnership. So she prevents me from going crazy or being crazy. Well, Mark, I just want to thank you so much. I have enjoyed this interview immensely and learning from you. We got to have you back on the show. We appreciate your time so much. Thank you for being with us at Living the Dream Podcast. Thank you for having me. It's been really wonderful. If you would like more information on Theme Parkology, please visit my website at www.themeparkology.com. And if you want to get a copy of my book, just visit discoveringthemagickingdom.com. Thank you for listening to the Behind the Ears podcast with your hosts, Jerry Cornell and Joshua Schaefer. Theme song music montage was created by James Presley. All interviews were acquired by Theme Parkology. The Behind the Ears podcast is in no way affiliated with the Walt Disney Company in any way. All rights reserved for their respective owners.